Hi, Mosaic. I'm glad that you're here with us uh, in this virtual space as we continue to journey through COVID-19 together. And this much I hope that all of us are experiencing, that God is with us, uh, that we are with each other, that God's love is with us, uh, and that our love is with each other. And so whatever you're experiencing in the midst of these days, uh, whether it's just simple moments of, of frustration, irritation, uh, grief of having to let go of some things that you wish you had, uh, or maybe it's a real hardship and you're having to walk something right now that even just two, three weeks ago, you had no idea that you would be walking this. Uh, like the English writer G.K. Chesterton wrote, um, we are all in the same boat in this stormy sea. And we owe each other a tremendous loyalty. And I, I love watching the ways that we together as a church are really giving each other a tremendous sense of loyalty, of just being in this together, but realizing that we're not alone, that God's love is with us and that our love is with each other. And so as, as we keep moving forward, I hope that we can continue to be fully aware of the most vulnerable among us. And I hope that our love, our concern for, and our care uh, for those most vulnerable will always be on the forefront of our minds. That's, that's definitely the direction that we want to be heading as a church. I've titled this sermon today, A Perilous Journey of Waiting, Ascending, and Realigning. I don't know about you, but, but even in the difficulty of these days, it has been beautiful to hear people talk about a realignment of their life, a, a realignment of their life with themselves, but also with the people around them, with their community and their world around them. And this realignment is happening uh, even in the midst of the struggle. I hear people saying things like this, I'm learning how to slow down. I'm realizing that efficiency and speed doesn't have to be a master in my life. I hear people say things like, I'm realizing that whatever control I had exercised in my life up until this point, I'm realizing that that control was just an illusion. I never had control in the first place. In fact, I'm, I'm learning that everything I have, every moment is a gift simply to be received with open hands. And I can't I can't manipulate what I'm given. I can't control it. All I can do is receive it with thanksgiving and cultivate it in the way that God would ask me to cultivate it. Uh, I'm learning that people are, are engaging with the present moment right in front of them, the simple yet profound beauty of the present moment. I hear people say, saying things like, I'm learning how to just be present with myself and, and all of those pieces of myself that I never fully engaged with. Certainly there's a kind of loneliness that comes from just being apart from people, you know, with all of the social distancing that's going on right now. But I think there's an even deeper kind of loneliness, and that's a loneliness where we're, we're disconnected with one's own self, where we're not really even fully aware of all that's going on below the surface and how that needs to be paid attention to and how that needs to be tended, and there needs to be a space made for all of that. And so hearing people realize that and actually discovering how to be present with themselves is a beautiful thing. 
hear parents talking about just being present with their kids and instead of carting them from thing to thing to thing, just learning how to be present with them. I see people getting lost in stories, using their imaginations, engaging in so much creativity. Uh, and, and one of the things I love seeing is when people are all of a sudden like really paying attention and seeing the vulnerable around them, rather than paying attention and seeing the powerful and the successful and those who do great things, people are seeing the vulnerable around them and realizing that people don't have a price tag. People aren't expendable for my comfort, but we're truly learning how to see one another. It's like all of these crooked and bent and twisted ways of engaging with life in one another are being straightened out. And it's a good and long and necessary visit with, with the chiropractor. That's what it feels like. Um, so here we are on this pilgrimage through COVID-19. And every now and then I, I hear people talk about, oh, I, I'm waiting in the midst of it. And I'm also hoping to ascend out of this, you know, and especially the extroverts. They're like, man, when I ascend out of this, I'm going to hug and kiss everyone I see, even complete strangers on the street. There's this, this hope that we're eventually ascending out of it, but also this understanding of this incredible realignment within our own lives and how we engage with the world around us. And so this morning, I wanted to look in particular at a story of people in Scripture who themselves are on a journey of waiting, hoping, ascending, and realigning. In the Psalms, uh, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, there are 15 of these. They're called the Psalms of Ascent. And in particular, this is the 11th of the 15th, uh, 15 of these, Psalm 130. And the people of Israel would engage in these psalms together as they would be journeying communally up to Jerusalem, perhaps for one of the, the celebrations, the festivals that would happen there uh, at various times of the year where they would celebrate life and celebrate all that God is doing in their midst. And they would eat and drink and just enjoy life together. And so they would be traveling to Jerusalem, ascending up to Jerusalem, because no matter where you're going, if you're coming from any place in Israel and going to Jerusalem, because of the elevation, you are ascending. And so this song of, of ascent right here, it speaks very specifically, I think, to a people who are waiting, ascending, but also experiencing a realignment. And I believe that there's four movements that they're engaging in that can speak very clearly to us about engagements that movements that we can be engaging in during this time. And the first movement that we can be engaging in is simply this, crying out to God during this time, that we would become a people who just become familiar of what it means to cry out to God and cry out to God often. That's what we are created for, this give-and-take relationship that as we cry out, He hears, He acts, and we're doing this in, in real time and real space. Psalm 130, verses 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Mosaic, it's okay to experience need during this time. It's okay to acknowledge that as we learn to receive life as a gift, every bit of it, to realize that ultimately at the core of who I am, I'm, I'm a needful person. And so God, I want to learn what it means to be a person who cries out to you from the depths, whatever the depth is that I'm experiencing, the depth of whatever frustration, 
irritation, grief, pain, hardship. God, as I cry out to you, you're attentive to that. You hear that, and you want to be present with me in the midst of that. So let's go forward in that movement of people crying out to God. Second movement, Mosaic, that we would be a people continually acknowledging our need for God's guidance. Verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. Biblical scholars tell us that um, they believe that as these psalms of ascent were being engaged in communally, as the people would travel to Jerusalem together, that um, oftentimes it wasn't just one person speaking all of this, but it would be one person who would start, and then another person from maybe this part of the community who would join in over here. And so, you know, in the first couple of verses, we had someone saying, hey, I know a movement for us. We need to be people crying out to God from the depths. And this other person saying, yeah, and we need to be a people acknowledging that we need God's guidance because ultimately, if, if, if God marked our iniquities, who could stand? Who could stand? And there, there's this beautiful picture um, within this word iniquity. So God, if, you, if you marked iniquities, God, who could stand? This, this word iniquity, it's used over 200 times in the Hebrew scriptures. It carries a sense of, um, from the root word, meaning to twist or to bend, or to curve, or to turn aside. It's like this person in the community is saying, God, if we were left to our own devices, we would become so bent and so twisted and so curved, and we would turn aside so much that we wouldn't even be able to truly stand in this, our human experience. And this person is reminding us, God, we acknowledge that we need you for guidance. And God, thankfully with you, you don't count these iniquities. You don't count these things against us. With you is forgiveness and steadfast love. And so we just acknowledge that we need your guidance. The third movement, that we would keep discovering in the midst of our waiting. Verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. So it's this picture of, of waiting, but this active waiting that's going on. It's a picture of like a community of people camping at night and the vast majority of the people sleeping, but there would be these watchmen who would climb to this high tower and they would actively be engaged in watching, scanning the horizon for danger and understanding what does it mean to care for ourselves in this unique place. And so Mosaic, as we are a people who keep discovering in our waiting, we, we wait with this anticipation of God. There are so many things in the midst of our waiting that you're going to continue to show us of how our lives need to be realigned with what it means to engage with this human experience, to engage with all of the world around me, with all of my neighbors around me. It's a picture of, you know, almost people pulling on two ends of a string and hoping that it doesn't snap. Um, so I know it's difficult waiting, but in the midst of the waiting, we keep on discovering. And I love it because those who study human development will tell us that 
it takes six weeks for new habits to be developed in our lives. And so as we continue to wait, but wait with this anticipation of discovery, we're engaging in these new habits. And I believe these new habits are going to change our lives, our community, and the world all around us. And so that's a beautiful thing that happens in our waiting as we keep discovering. Fourth movement, that we would look outside of ourselves to our Redeemer. Verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is great power to redeem. It is He who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. So again, there's that word iniquities from the root meaning to twist, to bend, to curve, to turn aside. Um, it's He, the Lord, who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Carissa last week so beautifully unpacked for us the picture of a, a kinsman redeemer in the story of Ruth. Ruth and Naomi who found themselves in great need in the midst of their perilous journey uh, in a very vulnerable position, but they meet Boaz. And a, a kinsman redeemer was someone who was closely aligned to someone because of family ties, who had the, the privilege and the power and the responsibility to step in from the outside and help. And so here's a beautiful picture of God himself being Israel's redeemer. God who has so closely united him, himself with his people, created them in his image, invited them to be co-creators of his world together, but God is the one who is able from his place of power and privilege and responsibility to step in and help these people. This is the desire of God for his people. And so our movement is to look to God as our Redeemer. Now, Mosaic, the first Christians, they understood Jesus to be humanity's kinsman Redeemer. One who so closely identified with humanity. God who took on flesh, who fully entered into our human experience, who entered into our sufferings, into our hardship, and even into our death, identifying with us in all of those ways, but through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, bring help, brings help from the outside. That Jesus ultimately is our kinsman redeemer that we look to. And I want to turn for a moment to a story that we see in the Gospels as we ask the question of, of what does it mean to engage with Jesus as our kinsman redeemer, believing that he's present with us, uh, realigning our lives to experience our humanity and to live our humanity in the way that it was intended with ourselves, with one another, with the world. There's a story where Jesus had been traveling with his disciples, living his life very closely with them. And at one point in time, they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, which was a rather large body of water in northern Israel, one night. And uh, they're in the boat, and the disciples are awake. Jesus is asleep, and a storm comes. And the waves are beating against the boat, and the disciples are asking the question, you know, how can he sleep during this time? And so they wake Jesus up, and, and Jesus awakens, and Jesus speaks a word to the chaos, to the storms around, and things are calmed. And the disciples are amazed that, wow, look, even, he even has the ability. He, he is Lord over the storms, over the chaos. 
Now, at first glance, we, we read this story, we engage with this story, and it's pretty obvious to us, well, the disciples are awake and Jesus is asleep. There's a fascinating development, though, of a lot of people who have read this story throughout the ages, throughout the centuries, and I think they've begun to ask a very important question. At, at, at surface level, yeah, we can see who's awake and who's asleep. But at a deeper level, let's look again. Who's really asleep and who's really awake? Um, certainly the disciples are unaware that Jesus has this ability, even being present in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the chaos, he's not so easily thrown. He's the one sleeping, but yet maybe he's the one awake to who he really is. And the ability that he has to still be Lord over the chaos and the storm. And perhaps it's the disciples who are the ones who were really asleep, asleep to the reality of Jesus' presence there and who he really is in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the chaos. Who's really asleep and who's really awake? I think that's an important question for us to ask, Mosaic. And as we keep moving forward in these days, my hope for us is that we would continue to awaken to read the reality that certainly God is no stranger to the chaos, to the storms. God is fully present within. Not that he's the one causing this, but he so closely identifies with us in the midst of the human experience. He's still Lord over all of this. And ultimately, as we awaken to the realignment that he wants to bring to our lives, to the way that we engage with ourselves, to the way that we engage with our neighbors and the world around us, this is a beautiful opportunity before us, especially, especially as we keep leaning into the vulnerable, the hurting, those who are facing hardship around us. We see over and over again in Scripture, that's where God and His kingdom longs to dwell, with those who are in deep need, with those who are vulnerable. And so He's meeting you in the midst of your vulnerability. Our hope is that you would awaken to that. Certainly God is not asleep. Jesus is not asleep, but you would awaken to that. And you would awaken to the fact that He is with the vulnerable all around you. And together, we get to grow in an understanding and awareness of what it means to experience our humanity in this kind of way, as we lean into the world around us, as we lean into one another, into all of our neighbors, um, in love, in care, in hospitality. Uh, Mosaic, grace and peace to you as you go throughout this week, uh, and what a joy it is to be together, even in this kind of way, during these times.